Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. This is episode number four. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club, the world's first photo book of the month club. We'll have a special offer for you on a subscription with Charcoal Book Club later in the show. How many cameras do you own, Jeff? It would be fair to say that I own three cameras. I own my uh, Fuji X-T1. Uh, I still have an old Nikon D90, which is my quote-unquote backup body that I should just sell, and I've forgotten that I have. And I have uh, this little iPhone gadget that uh, seems to have a camera implanted into it. It hasn't been very long that we could say that a phone is actually a camera. I remember the first cell phone I had, a little Nokia plastic thing, and it had a camera. It made little tiny square pictures that were probably one-twelfth of a megapixel. I don't remember what resolution the first iPhone was. Do you? I don't offhand. It, it was decent. I, I remember that. It wasn't, you wouldn't think of it as a great camera, but it was certainly an acceptable camera and, and definitely better than the cell phones and smartphones that had come before it. While you were answering my question, I looked it up. It was a two megapixel camera. Wow. Two whole megapixels. <laughs> yeah. And the iPhone 4 was five megapixels. And now we're up to 12 megapixels. So I think it's fair to say that the iPhone is a camera that you could use for, for a lot. If you think, you go back 10 years, 12 megapixels would have been an expensive DSLR, wouldn't it have been? It would have. And that would have been rather luxurious for a digital camera at one point. But the iPhone and the smartphone in general has changed the way that we take pictures because people have cameras all the time in their pocket. Well, it's, it's also, it's made people realize that they can be photographers and whether that means they are uh, making snapshots of every day, whether they're taking selfies, suddenly the idea that, oh, I can take pictures because I have this thing with me all the time versus, oh, I'm not a photographer because I don't carry a camera with me all the time or I don't own a good camera. Now it's the point where if you have a, a relatively recent iPhone, you can take great pictures, period. One side effect of the ubiquity of smartphone cameras is that there has been a sharp decrease in alien abduction. <laughs> now that everyone has cameras, the aliens stay away. You don't see pictures of alien abductions anymore, do you? I have a question for you. So we both own Fujis. We both own iPhones. Um, we've been shooting with both for, for quite a while. And the question is, how often do you shoot with one or the other? Because I know that, that I am mostly deliberate when I want to go out and shoot with my Fuji. That's when I'm more in a, a photographic mode or I'm going to go somewhere where I need a wide-angle lens or what have you. But more and more, I find myself shooting with the iPhone as a, a regular, everyday kind of thing, even if I have my Fuji in my bag. Yeah, not me. For me, there's a sort of a a Clark Kent to super photographer transition. When I put a camera strap over my shoulder, I become a photographer. So when I take one of my two Fujis out with me, my mindset for photography turns on. If I'm out with my iPhone, the only time I'll take it out for pictures, if I see something that I want to record, like here's what time I put the money in the parking meter, or hey, I, this is a really interesting something that I saw in the store and I want to look it up on Amazon when I get home, you know, that kind of thing. Or if I'm sitting around and I don't have my camera nearby and one of my cats does something funny or there's some interesting clouds or last week there was a deer chewing at one of our rose bushes. So I went up to the window and took a picture so we could try to identify it. 
but it's very rare that I'll go out and think, oh, okay, I want to take a picture of this. It's happened a few times, out walking at golden hour, and all of a sudden the clouds go away and there's a beautiful light, and I happen to have my iPhone. But it's not really something I think of. Usually if I don't have one of my Fuji cameras, I'm just Clark Kent again. Interesting. I'm I'm very much in the middle where um, I think if I see some light or or especially some moment where something is happening, it's going to take too long for me to get the Fuji out of my bag. And I even have like a decent camera bag that makes it easy to do that. But so many times I've found myself grabbing the iPhone because it is the quickest, easiest option. And I know that I will get a good shot. In fact, sometimes I'll even grab my iPhone in circumstances when I know the Fuji will give me a better shot overall, but the iPhone might be better in a low light situation, for example, where I don't have to work with the Fuji to make a good shot or think about whether I need to have um, you know, a tripod or some stability. I can sort of lean on the, the iPhone's uh, internal processing and its capabilities almost as a crutch because I know this will give me a better shot in this instance than if I really wanted to get all fiddly and, and make a, you know, a, a good, good shot, if that makes sense. One reason that I was always hesitant about taking out my iPhone to take a picture in a hurry is that I keep forgetting how to quickly get to the camera app when the phone is locked. And you reminded me, and it reminded me of all the other tips that in some cases took me a couple of years to learn because there's no manual that comes with this thing. There's nothing that says, here's how to use the camera. I know I could have looked it up and I'm, and I'm sure you wrote a book about it that I probably didn't read enough. <laughs> but let's go through some of the tips that people can use to make pictures more quickly and to make better pictures with an iPhone. Well, and in fact, as I was doing some research for this, I found a couple of other ways to get to the camera app that I had completely forgotten about. So starting off, the way that I access the camera app on my phone, I would say 99 out of 100 times is I don't go to the home screen. I go to the lock screen. So you lift up the phone or you, you tap the, the power button and then just swipe right to left. And that takes you immediately to the camera and you're ready to shoot and you're ready to go. Right. So one of the problems I have is that when I pick up my phone, my thumb goes to the home button and the phone unlocks automatically. So it's already too late for that. So in order to access that, I have to hold it differently, press the power button on the side and then swipe. I have an iPhone 8 Plus. You have an iPhone X, right? Yes. So you have Face ID. Do you have to like turn your head when you do this so it doesn't wake up? <laughs> When you lift up the phone and, and Face ID activates, it doesn't just unlock and go straight to the home screen. It unlocks and then sort of waits for you to do something, either to swipe up to go to the home screen or, in this case, swipe over to get to the camera. So in that way, I'm not really uh, uh, fighting the timing there. Right. I'm going to try something, and I don't know if this works. Siri, open camera. That works, too. Oh. That's interesting to know. Wow. I don't have Hey Siri on, but I would press and hold the home button to do that. So if you do have Hey Siri on, remember to do that. Wow. Okay. Add that to the list. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't ever think of using Siri unless I'm sort of being challenged to find ways to do something. That's a good approach. So you said there were other ways to get to the camera app. What else? Specific to the iPhone 10, on the lock screen, there's a camera icon in the lower right, and you can force touch it. If you just tap it, nothing happens. But if you force touch it, that brings up the camera. Now, you have the iPhone 8, 
Do you have that button there? No, I don't have it. Now I can do a force touch on the camera app icon, but all that gives me is the options to take a selfie, record a video, record slow-mo, or take a portrait. Obviously, if all I want to do is take a normal picture, I would tap instead of force touching. But it's useful to know that if you do want to take a video right away, you can force touch rather than tap and then slide the thing to get to video. Exactly. And I think that's another way of, of making the camera a little more immediate. And it's unfortunate that it's buried under force touch because, again, that was one that, that I forgot even existed. But you can also get to the same options in Control Center. So on the iPhone 10, you swipe down from the upper right corner or on the others, you swipe up from the bottom. And there's a camera app button there that you can tap and go to the camera or force press, force touch, 3D touch. Uh, Apple has so many names for it. And be able to, to jump like directly into making a selfie or making a slow-mo movie. Right. It's the same options that I get from force touch. If you don't know what force touch is, on recent models, what is it since the 6 or the 6S, if you press and hold an app icon, sometimes you'll get like a little pop-up menu. I, I've met a lot of people who have recent iPhones who don't even know that this feature exists, and it's not very easily discoverable. So once you're in the camera app, everything is pretty self-explanatory in terms of, you know, you press the big shutter button to take your picture. But in Apple's, I want to say, minimal wisdom, yeah. there are features there that you may not even know exist. So, for example... The iPhone does a really good job of sort of picking out what should be in focus and what the light level should be. But what if you want something else? What if you want to focus on something in the background instead of the foreground? It's super easy, and I think some people forget about it. You just tap once to say, I want to focus on this. And when you do that, the tap also sets your exposure. So if you have something that's really dark in the foreground, you can tap the foreground and that will bring up those levels. It might blow out the background. But that is a very easy, user-friendly way of setting those without getting into the complications of how do you do them separately. One thing that's great about the iPhone's camera app is that all of this is essentially automatic. It's as if you're in program mode on a normal camera. You don't have to think about the exposure triangle. You don't have to worry about shutter speed and aperture. Of course, you don't really have that many controls, in a, in a future episode, we'll talk about apps you can use on the iPhone that do give you those controls. But Apple's basic camera app is really simple. You point, you tap, and you shoot. And in fact, let's say you do uh, tap on, on some area and that gets in focus, but maybe it's still not bright enough. Or, or maybe the camera has exposed for the overall scene, but that's still a little bit bright for you. Uh, if you notice next to the little box that indicates your focus and your exposure, there's a little sunshine or light icon just to the right. And once that pops up, you can use your finger and just drag that up and down and invoke some fairly basic but quick exposure compensation. Right. And that works as long as that little yellow box is visible. If the yellow box isn't visible, what happens when you slide is it changes from say, photo to video to portrait, etc., which is what I do all the time. I, I don't tap and wait. I just start sliding to change the exposure, whereas you have to tap and wait a half a second and then do it. In that case, when the square is visible, you can, you can slide anywhere on the screen. You don't have to specifically hit the target of that little icon. You don't always want to do it. And as I said earlier, I sometimes swipe to adjust the exposure, but I haven't tapped first. So it, it's a sort of 
walking and chewing gum type thing. You need to get used to the tap, hold, slide, move, twist, press button thing. But once you get the hang of it, it becomes second nature. Just like if you're using, I don't like to use the term real camera because the iPhone is still a real camera, but we have to distinguish between the iPhone and other cameras. When you first start using a camera like that, you're not used to half pressing the shutter button to get the exposure and the focus point. And you'll you'll mess up a lot of photos because you'll be shooting, you'll be pressing too hard, or you won't press hard enough and it gets confusing. But it's the same thing. It, it becomes muscle memory. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we'll discuss some other tips to make shooting with an iPhone easy. Charcoal Book Club is the world's first photo book of the month club. I've been a member for a few months, and I really like the way it's exposing me to photographers I didn't know. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected photographers and publishers in the industry to send hand-picked books to your door. The club offers free shipping to the U.S., U.K., and Canada. Members also get exclusive perks like signed copies, access to rare titles, members-only pricing in the store, and more. Use the code PHOTOACTIVE when you join Charcoal Book Club and get 10% off your membership. Whether you're a professional artist with a stocked library or a novice just beginning to build a collection, Charcoal Book Club is an easy and affordable way to stay up to date on the most essential work in contemporary photography. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com and use the code PHOTOACTIVE to save 10% on your membership. So, before the break, we were talking about all of this manipulation. There are some other buttons and things you can press on the iPhone, aren't there, that are useful to know about? There are, which people may not even uh, think about because they're not directly in the app. Uh, this was something that, that I think you didn't know about, um, and I think I discovered accidentally uh, at one point, um, which is, okay, you know that you can push the big shutter button to take a picture. How many times have you tried to do that and you're doing it one-handed or you're at an awkward angle and it's hard to hit that big shutter button to take the picture? Well, the solution is press either one of the volume buttons, the physical volume buttons. In fact, when you have the phone held in portrait orientation with the volume buttons at the top, like it's even close to the ergonomic way of holding an actual camera where a shutter button would be. And it's the same if it's in landscape orientation. I'm holding it now with two hands and I'm going to take a picture of my computer screen with Skype and you smiling there. And it is an awful lot easier. I, I think both the tapping to set focus and exposure and the shutter button are things that took me a year or two to figure out. I don't remember that the volume button for shutter was always available. Wasn't there a thing where an app decided to do this and Apple prevented them and then they introduced the feature at some point? I think that's correct. I believe it was probably like the iPhone 3 or iPhone 4, and I believe the app was called Camera Plus. And initially, Apple um, said, no, 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 you, you can't use this in this way. And then somebody at Apple said, oh, wait, this is a good idea and implemented it. So one thing that I like on the iPhone, all our cameras are real cameras, and I don't mean to denigrate the iPhone, but we have to distinguish. All of our cameras have a burst mode. You can take a certain number of pictures per second. And burst mode is really great if you're photographing something that's moving or if you're not sure that you're going to be perfectly lined up. And often when I take a picture with my iPhone, I will use burst mode because I find it harder to keep it perfectly balanced with the horizon level it's just the ergonomics of the device. But burst mode is another thing that took me years to find. 
Burst mode is great, especially when you're taking pictures of people. You know, when, when somebody asks, they, they hand you their phone and they ask you to take a picture of them. And invariably, one or two shots just doesn't cut it. If you just hold that shutter button down, that goes into burst mode, which on, on the iPhone is incredibly fast compared to most cameras. That gives you a whole bunch of different options, and it also bypasses that problem of, oh, here's the good picture, uh, except that your eyes are closed or something ran across in the background. People are always blinking when you take a picture of them like that. How always, rude. you got three people, and there's one of them who's blinking, and it's just ruined. It's just ruined. It's terrible. So we, we talked last week about shooting in black and white, and I mentioned that you can use the black and white filters to shoot in black and white on the iPhone, and what you see on the LCD is in black and white, but there are other filters too. This is another example of features that are there that I never even think about, because I will often prefer to edit after the fact, and so I'm content with just taking whatever the, the camera gives me. But, especially since we were talking about black and white, it, it's made me think more about leaving one of these filters on and, and you know, getting a better preview of what I'm working with. Two of the big marquee features on the iPhone are portrait mode and live photos. Now, I only really take live photos by accident. I've turned it off and I see absolutely no interest in taking live photos. But I have used portrait mode a number of times. Well, I think live photo mode gets a little bit of a bad rap. Essentially, it's recording like five seconds of video along with, with your picture. And when it first appeared, it was neat. Kind of gives you that, that Harry Potter photo effect. But in the newest models, it's helpful because when you have a live photo recorded, you can actually change which of those frames is used as the photo. Now, I haven't gone in to see if the resolution is consistent or if you're just choosing like a, a key photo for that. But there have been times when I've, I've taken a shot and I realized that, that the shot that I got was, you know, my daughter with her eyes closed. But when I go in and, and slide through the live photo possibilities, there's a perfectly good one that's perhaps, you know, one second later. I believe that prior to iOS 11, the resolution was such that the photo was higher resolution, but the rest of the photos before and after weren't. And I think in iOS 11, they've upped it so they're all the same resolution. I'll find an Apple technical document and put a link in the show notes that discusses this. This is also an example of something where I think Apple incorporated this because it would be, you know, a, a fun effect um, just to have video. And then they added some some uh, supplementary effects so you can have the video uh, bounce. So it plays forward and it plays plays backward. Um, and that's fun, whatever. It's great for Apple commercials. The thing that I like is there's a long exposure option. So um, the best example of this is you're shooting a picture of a waterfall, and that can be, you know, a little waterfall in a park or something. You don't have to set up your phone on a tripod and, and set a long exposure. You just do a, a live photo. Right. If you don't know what a long exposure is, the idea is that you take a photo for a long enough period of time to blur the movement of the water. And so what Photos is doing is it's algorithmically blending all of those images together to give you that same exact effect. In fact, I've had some pictures that look better using just the live photo version of long exposure than actually setting up my Fuji and doing a long exposure. Another excellent feature on the iPhone is HDR. 
So HDR, for people who aren't familiar, stands for High Dynamic Range. And the way you achieve this with most cameras, you take three different pictures at different exposures, and then in software, you blend those together. On the iPhone, it's basically doing that in the background, but with the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10, what's interesting is that it's doing it automatically. So every shot that you take, if the camera thinks it's an HDR situation, it will just do that for you. Right, and this would be a picture, let's say you're taking a portrait of someone in front of a white wall or where there's sunlight on the wall behind them. The sunlight would stop down the camera to lower the exposure, whereas in HDR on the iPhone, what it does is it, it algorithmically isolates the part that's in the background. It uses the lower exposure for that, and it takes a higher exposure for the thing in the foreground. And, and it does this automatically. This is instantaneous. This isn't some special filter you need to turn on. And this is something that's, that's actually always working in the background. The way the iPhone camera and the, the, the uh, camera processor that's in there works is it's always taking multiple shots and grabbing the one that's, that it thinks is the best. So there's a whole lot of smarts going on. What I found with the HDR is a lot of times, even when you're looking at the preview, and let's say your sky is, is blown out because it's bright, the image that it comes up with, you'll have a nicely exposed sky with uh, very clear clouds and all. We'll have a link in the show notes to an article that you wrote for DP Review about using the iPhone 8 Plus with HDR. If you don't have one of the most recent phones, HDR works a little bit differently. You'll notice that in an HDR situation, there'll be a little tiny HDR tag that appears that says that the phone is, is, is doing it. And you can turn that off. And in fact, on all iPhones in iOS 11, there's an option in settings. If you go to settings, camera, you can specify either that the auto HDR is turned off on the new models, or you can specify that the normal photo is also kept. So the unprocessed and then the the process to show up as two separate photos. So you have so you have some choice as to which one you use. And that's a good example of a user-friendly feature that most users don't even think about and don't even know about. In many cases, what will happen is someone will be out with their family taking pictures and they'll just have good pictures. They won't even know that it's HDR. It just does all of this for you in the background, which I think is one of the good things about the iPhone in general, but other cameras as well. There's so much computation going on in the background now, making it easier for you to get the right exposure and the right lighting. And with some cameras, you're aware of this, but with the iPhone, you're not. It's just this little thing in your pocket. You take it out and you tap it or press a button and you have a picture. It's kind of magical, isn't it? It's absolutely magical. And actually listening to us, it might sound like, you know, why are we even bothering with uh, shooting with regular cameras anyway? That's a really good question. And so it's also important to point out that, yes, there's a lot of great great processing going on. Yes, the camera is a very good camera. There are downsides. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a few of them. So for example, we're not big fans of pixel peeping, looking really closely at, at images. However, there are times when if you do look closely at some uh, iPhone photos, it can be a little mushy because what you're seeing is what the phone's processor and the algorithms are basically piecing together from the available light of the scene, especially in, in low light, images can get kind of muddy. Right. And if you have a, a, here I go again, a real camera, you have an option to raise the ISO to 5,000, 10,000, even more, depending on what type of camera it is. And that gives you 
while there's still some noise, you're going to get a much sharper picture in low light than you would with an iPhone. For the most part, we're putting a lot of the processing, a lot of the, the, the image-making decisions into the hands of Apple's engineers. And I think in most cases, the algorithms that they've chosen do a very good job. Then you run into something like that where the, the camera is saying, okay, this seems like an unacceptable level of noise if I raise the ISO. So what we're going to do is we're going to compensate in, in other ways. And that's just not a choice that you have. A very interesting effect of this is iPhones that have two cameras, one telephoto and one sort of normal wide-angle camera, there's a little bit of a cheat involved if the camera app thinks there isn't enough light. So let's say you want to get in closer to a subject, and so you switch to the telephoto camera. You tap, and it goes into the 2x mode, and you take the shot. Well, if the camera doesn't think there's enough light, what it will do is it will actually use the wide-angle camera, which has a, a better aperture that will let in more light, and then digitally zoom to that 2x framing. So what you end up with is an image that is better in terms of light, but because it's it's been digitally zoomed, it's interpolating the pixels, and you end up with a softer image. Right, and I've seen this a number of times. It really surprised me that the quality looks just poor. And, and I wondered what I was doing wrong before I figured out about this, because they don't tell you this. There's nothing in the iPhone app or in the Photos app that says, hey, you know, you wanted to use the telephoto, but we didn't use it. They just won't tell you. And that's a very typical Apple thing, which is, no, look, we know what's best. And, you know, again, in many cases, what you end up with is something that's that's perfectly fine. I, I would say in 90% of cases, you can be fine. But low light in particular is a problem. I, I would say the one other detriment is, and this is interesting, we're going to talk about raw image files in a future episode. They are uncompressed files, unlike JPEGs that are compressed. And with a RAW file, you have a lot more options of changing exposure and lighting and all that. You can shoot in RAW on the iPhone, but you can't shoot RAW with the Apple camera app. You have to get a third-party app. Now, it's a real advantage to be able to shoot in RAW. You have a lot more latitude when you're editing a photo. And it's kind of strange that Apple hasn't added this to its own app yet. I think that's entirely Apple saying RAW will be too confusing for 90% of the people. Even just having a button that says, you know, pro mode or uh, raw mode, that's just something that they they clearly have said, we're just not going to deal with it. We'll, we'll support it underneath. I think they are assuming, and they're probably right, that someone who wants to shoot raw with their iPhone will be the person who will go get an app that can do that. And we'll do an episode on that in the future, won't we? We will. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, it's time to move on to our snapshots, things that we have seen that have interested us this week. Jeff, what have you got? Well, I'm going to go super easy because Apple has a bunch of, they call them how to shoot on iPhone videos. What's nice about these is that they are very quick. I don't think there's any dialogue at all. And so you will very quickly be able to see like how to shoot a portrait photo, how to shoot in slow-mo. With the World Cup going on right now, they just released a few days ago um, a series that are all focused on soccer, sorry, football, and how to get that iconic you know, silhouette players moving onto the field kind of shot. They're quick, they're, they're very well done, and um, you can learn something. 
Unfortunately, there's no video about how to get a ticket for the World Cup. Well, over here, if you want to do the World Cup, it means you got to go to a pub at 6 a.m., which is a little tough. That's right. Yeah, the time zone difference. Well, you're going to get it in 2026. Oh, so that's right. Yes. You'll have it in your time Excellent. zone. How about you, Kirk? What do you have for this week? I have a new book. One of my favorite photographers is Michael Kenna. He shoots black and white landscape photos. You rarely see a human in his photos. And he shoots long exposures. We were talking about that before. And he'll sit there all night. He'll do like a 10-hour long exposure. Not so much because he's shooting in the dark, which he often does, but I think because there's a certain character that you get with a long exposure that you don't get with a shorter exposure. And he shoots on film. This isn't, this isn't digital in any way. So there's a book that he released some years ago called Mont Saint-Michel, which is the name of a small island off the northern coast of France, right on the border between Normandy and Brittany. And you've probably seen a picture of it. There's this abbey on top of the island that points up into the heavens. And it's a fascinating place. I've visited it a couple of times, but it's overcrowded. And in this book, some of the photos were taken during the day, but a lot of them were taken at night. He got night access when it was closed. And I'm going to link to a review on my photo website where I've put some sample photos from the book. They're just stunning pictures. You don't always see the monument itself. A lot of the pictures are details. Two of the pictures I really like are a small staircase with a tree branch coming out over it. And, and the, the, the subtle lighting in these pictures is just magnificent. I really like his photos in general. And, and this book was particularly interesting because it is a, a place that I have visited. You mentioned that he takes long exposures um, and it was there during the day. Did the long exposures make the people disappear? No, the daytime shots are only of things where there are no people. He didn't shoot anything with people. But in an interview that I read with him some years ago, he was talking about some of the photos that he's done. Maybe it's on a pier or something by the sea. And that sometimes people will walk into the frame and come out. But it, since it's a 10-hour or 8-hour long exposure, the people don't show up. There might be a tiny remnant ghost of the person in the picture, but you don't see them. It is kind of weird because these pictures almost never have people in them. I think I've seen a couple with people in a book that he published using a Holga camera, but in general, these are just very composed landscape pictures in black and white with a very slight sepia tone. It's, it's really, it's a kind of classy photography in a way. That's interesting because I've been to Mont Saint-Michel and there are a lot of people. So oh God, there are more how, people than you can imagine. How he could do it, yeah. how he could do that is just amazing. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. The secret word is swordfish. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 10% off your membership at Charcoal Book Club. Go to charcoalbookclub.com and use the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically.